So we are uh, starting uh, a new series this week. Uh, it's uh, about the land between finding God and difficult times of transition. And uh, we're going to be talking about complaints some this week as we begin this. Each week's going to have a different kind of theme. So uh, I'm glad to see all of you here uh, in, in the room. It's good to see your faces. Uh, even with the mask on, it's good to see your faces. And I uh, want to welcome you at home who are joining with us. We're glad you've chosen to worship with us here at Bethany, where we are leading people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ, to grow in his image. We're glad you've chosen to worship with us this morning. This day, we're going to talk about uh, complaint. And I, and I thought, you know, as I get into that, I'd, I'd look it up and see what Merriam-Webster says about complaint. And the root of that is, is from the Latin, and it means to lament with, to lament with someone. Uh, and the kind of basic definitions, one is a, a statement that a situation is unsatisfactory or unacceptable or a reason for dissatisfaction or the expression of dissatisfaction and, and it can actually take a legal form uh, in uh, real formal kinds of situations. And then the second one is to talk about an illness or a medical condition, uh, especially a relatively minor one. And, and I thought that was interesting that that second definition kind of has that connotation of something minor because I think a lot of times we, we tend to think of complaint that way that you know, we complain about things that really aren't, you know, it's, it's really not that big a deal, but we complain about it. You know, it's like, you know, you buy that new pair of shoes and you think, oh, these are going to be so wonderful. And then you wear them and you find out they really hurt my feet, you know. Or, you know, if you live in my house, you know, I get dressed in the morning and I think I've done a really great job of getting everything coordinated. And my wife goes, no. I'm going, I'm, I'm never going to get this right. You know, I just never am. Uh, and, and, you know, as we've gone through the pandemic... You know, some of you uh, have gotten up and put your clothes on and noticed, you know, my clothes are shrinking. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> We're just growing. And, and, and then there's Zoom, right? All the Zoom meetings were on. And we're all getting Zoom fatigue. And we're tired of being on the online meetings. And we have, we have in the conference, we have one tomorrow and, and Tuesday that we're going into. And we're all just looking forward to it with joy, I can assure you, because it's one more online meeting. Uh, and, and we've had to learn how to live stream and do all that, and, and we're still learning that process. So uh, it's been a challenge. And so, uh, yeah, we, you know, we do that. But sometimes complaints are minor. Uh, sometimes they take a deeper form. So as we move into this, um, the author of the book that we're working on, this Jeff Mannion, uh, writes this coming out of an earlier period in his life when he was uh, in seventh grade. Uh, his grandfather had passed away, and his mother and father, together with the, the infant in the family who was still nursing, uh, got in the car to travel across state to go to the funeral. The other children were left with friends and neighbors uh, at home so that they wouldn't have to drag all of the kids uh, with them the whole way. And on the way there, they were involved in a serious accident, and uh, his mother was killed. Uh, and in an instant, his whole life changed. You know, I mean, he, his, his mother was gone. Uh, when his father finally got out of the hospital and came home, uh, they had to reconstruct what the household looked like. And, and then about a year after that, his father got a job in a different state, and they moved to a whole new different community. And, and in that ensuing year after that, his father met another woman, and they decided to get married. So now he had a new mother in his life, who incidentally he's very complimentary of. Uh, but, but nonetheless, it was a change. And, and, and then they made another move from the Midwest out to the West Coast of California. So all in the span of about two or three years, uh, he had made two major moves, uh, lost his mother, uh, gotten a stepmother into his family. Uh, and he said he felt like everything in his life had come undone. You know, he, he had no roots. He had no grounding 
in, in the midst of all of this and felt just, you know, totally kind of at sea in the middle of that. And that's what urged him to, to write uh, and, and come in and uh, work on this book and present this, looking at the exodus of Israel as the people came across the desert and what their experience must have been like. So we're going to spend some time with that because uh, having gone through a year of pandemic, some of us are right there with him in that feeling of, of being uprooted and, and having our whole lives turned over. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we give you thanks that we get to gather this morning, uh, and we thank you for those who are joining us online, uh, and we come to you uh, in the midst of this time, turbulent time, and uh, uh, gather hoping to find places to sink down roots and to hold on fast in the middle of all of it. So uh, we, we ask you to be present and let your spirit open our minds and our hearts and our spirits to what you would share with us today. I let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I'm going to take you back and I'm going to remind you of this, this Old Testament story where, uh, you know, we, we have uh, Joseph who gets sold into slavery by his brothers uh, out of uh, kind of envy and jealousy of him, but, but he's sold into slavery. And then later, when a time of famine, famine comes on the land of Canaan, his family comes across to Egypt where Joseph has now risen to be like number two in the kingdom in terms of, of his level of command. And, and they come before him and in grace and in mercy he forgives them and, and welcomes them in. And this now becomes the home of Israel. Now, now Joseph and, and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly. They had a lot of children increased in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. So in this time, they've come into Egypt and, and to find food and, and sustenance for this time. But it's turned out to be a place where you know, life has been good enough that they've grown to be quite a large number of people. Uh, and a few generations later, a, a new king who, to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and, if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. Now, I think it's a telling little piece there that what the, the king automatically assumes will happen. I mean, he doesn't say, hey, you know, the Israelites have become really numerous, and boy, if we could get them all, all on board and, and get them to fight with us, boy, we could overcome anybody. His assumption is they will fight against us, uh, which gives you a little key into his psychology and the way he's looking at it. And in response to this threat that he perceives, uh, they are brought into a condition of slavery and, and forced labor, uh, which becomes increasingly uh, difficult and, and uh, hard as the generations go by. I mean, these, these years go by. And in the midst of that, the people of Israel cry out. They cry out to God. And God raises up for them Moses. Now, I'm, I'm not going to go into the whole story here, the little bits, because we're going to be coming back and revisiting some of this. But, you know, you'll remember Moses ends up having to flee Egypt, and, and he's in the wilderness, and he sees this bush that's burning but not consumed, and goes over to see what's going on there. And when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, and I suspect he said it kind of like this, here, here I am. I mean, you know, he gets his voice coming out of the bush. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you were standing is holy ground. 
Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And then there unfolds this beautiful and wonderful and yet also sometimes terrifying story where God, working through Moses, does these great works and sometimes terrifying works in the land of Egypt to convince Pharaoh to release the Israelites. He finally reaches that point uh, and, and releases them. They, they gather their belongings and, and, and everything, and, and they begin to make their way out of Egypt toward the Promised Land. They come to the Red Sea, and, and as they're approaching that, Pharaoh changes his mind and sends his army after them. And, and God's Shekinah, the the pillar of fire by night and, and clouds by day comes between the people of Israel and Pharaoh's army and protects them. The waters of the sea open. They pass through. The army is uh, then released and it comes into the sea where it, the waters close over them and destroys them. And, and they enter into this desert. Now, I just want you to kind of remember the story a little bit because it's important to remember that God has done all these amazing things. And part of his instructions to his people in terms of the Passover is, you're going to remember this and rehearse this history every year. Because I know you and I know that you will forget if you don't go back and rehearse this. You'll forget this and you'll begin to take credit for itself or you'll just forget that God has ever done anything for you. So every year you're going to rehearse this story. But even now at this point in time when they have come through the sea and all this is fresh history in the minds of the people of Israel... Uh, Moses led him from the Red Sea, and they, they went into the desert of Shur. And for three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. The word Marah means bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. Now, this is only three days after God has done this amazing act of, of bringing them through the Red Sea. And you, you hear already that they're, they're wondering, you know, are, are we going to be okay? Are we going to be okay? You know, we're, we're here in the desert and we don't have anything to drink. You know, what are we going to do? Uh, and, and you hear this beginning already. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month, after they had come out of Egypt. Now, I want you to remember that. That 15th day of the second month, it's been 45 days now since they came out of Egypt when all this is taking place. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. 
The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Uh, the double gathering on the sixth day was so that on the Sabbath they could rest. So, so there's this kind of a event that takes place where God pours out this bread from heaven on them. And, and, and when they went to get it, they weren't sure what it was. And, and, and so they said, what, what is this? Which is manna, is what the word manna means. Uh, what is this? Uh, we're not sure what, you, what you've given us. But they come out here and, and, they, and they cry out to God. It's easy for us, sitting in the position we are, to minimize that complaint. But I want you to remember, they've been 45 days traveling in the desert. Um, any kind of supplies they brought with them when they left Egypt have either been consumed or have gone bad by this point. So, so they have worked through their stores at this point, and, and, and they're hungry. Now, 45 days. Now, now, you know, the other week when we had the ice storm, uh, and we were all closed up for a while, and the grocery stores closed for a while, and everything. After about four days or so, the you know stores begin opening back up. And uh, this is a picture of an HEB here in town. Uh, and, and, and you'll notice the line of people coming out the front and down to the corner, and then stretching out there two, three blocks into the distance. Uh, a, a line of people waiting to get into HEB. This is after four or five days. Uh, because, you know, we're starving. It's been four or five days. We haven't been able to go to the store. And, and so this is, we're willing to stand on a line like this to get in after four or five days. But, but the people of Israel have been in the wilderness for 45 days. And, and, you know, in the wilderness of sin, there ain't no H-E-B. <laughs> this is what it looks like. Now, they had come from the Nile River Valley in Egypt where there was water and there was food and supplies and everything was there and, and this is what they had left and now God brings them out and they're, they're in the midst of this desert and, and what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I mean it's, it's easy for us to minimize that complaint but you, you need to remember they're, they're traveling with their whole households uh, in among them they have young children, they have infants they have pregnant women, they have the very elderly with them and they're traveling through this desert with all this vulnerable population. And how are we going to feed them? And how are we going to find water for them? So when they lift this cry up, it's, it's not, you know, I mean, it, it, it's not something to be minimized. This is serious. It's not like us. They're not just going to go a little bit hungry or maybe not have their favorite thing to eat. They're, they're, they're worried about, we're going to starve to death. We're go- literally, we're going to die out here. And they lift that up. And God, in response, hears them and rains down on them the, this food from heaven, this manna, this what is it that sustains them. However, however, as the story goes on, the rabble with them begin to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. Sounds good, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. So God instructs Moses, tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. 
You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, ten, or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out your nostrils and you loathe it. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Now, you, you get, he's going to provide meat for them, but there's a little lesson there, right? You hear the lesson some of you, your parents may have done. Oh, you want that? Well, then you can just keep eating it, right? Until you've had more than you want. So, so he's going to provide and, and provide the quail that come and provide for them the meat that they need. But the story just keeps going, right? The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you at, by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And the words Masa Meribah mean testing and quarreling. And there's this pattern where they come into the desert and they run into these hardships, which are real, but their tendency to respond to them is to do one of two things. It's to say, Oh, if only, you know, if only we had not left, if only we could go back, or to try to place blame. You know, Moses, what, you let us out here and now we're all going to die. This is all your fault. And, and that tends to be what we do, doesn't it, in times of hardship. It's really easy for us to say, oh, if only, if only we could go back. My first solo congregation was an older congregation that had been in decline for a number of years. And, and when I went there, that was, that was their cry. If only we could go back to the glory days in the late 1950s. And I'm going, folks, I don't know any way to take you back 30 years in time. I just don't know how to do that. Um, you know, one of the realities is when we, when we begin to move forward in life, uh, you know, we move forward. There's, there's no, you can't turn the clock back. When you move out into the desert, you've moved out there. You can move ahead and lean into God and trust in God, or you can choose to stay where you are and perish. But there's no going back. The other response we sometimes have is, is to point fingers and blame. And we've certainly heard a lot of that this year. It's all their fault or it's all their faults. So it's your fault. It's your faults. And what God calls us to do is to come to him and to lament with. And here, it's, it's not a matter of saying the hardship is not real. And that's not something we have to struggle with. But instead of saying, oh, if only, or instead of saying, this is all your fault, we bring this to God. Because did you notice, in spite of everything, God heard them, and God responded to them every time. So we, we've gone through this craziness of this past year. I mean, we've had this pandemic we've been walking through, and it's pretty much turned everything upside down in our world, hadn't it? I mean, um, 
I, I told people when all this started, you know, one of the, the hardest things for me, at least, is that normally when we face times of difficulty or challenge, we come together. We gather. We come together. We worship. We pray with each other. We, we come together. And we find comfort and strength in the presence of each other. And yet, in the midst of this, that was the exact thing we were not supposed to do. And so all of a sudden, the, the, the coping mechanisms that we have relied on for so long were, were not available to us. And for many of us, that was extremely difficult. It was isolating. We found ourselves feeling alone and, and, and you know, kind of out there on our own. Our, our, our children had to learn to, to do school online, virtually, and our teachers had to learn to teach that way. And although, you know, most people agree that's not the ideal way to do it, it's, it's what was possible, and we had to work with that. And some of our parents had to learn to be assistant teachers. And it was hard, especially for parents who were trying to help their kids learn how to do that while they were holding down a full-time job. I mean, there just weren't enough hours in the day. We had to learn to deal with that. We, we weren't able to be there with one another in the way we like. And, uh, you know, we had, we had people who, who uh, were sick and in the hospital or people who passed away and their families could not be with them in that time. And it was difficult. And, and in the middle of all that stress that arched across the whole year, we had all of the unrest and tension around the racial issues which became so evident in our society. And then we plunged right into a very contentious election It seemed like it was just one thing on top of another. And then we come into 2020, and we're all going, I mean, 2021, and we're all going, well, thank goodness 2020 is over. And 2021 said, well, I've got a, I've got a surprise for you. You're going to have a cold spell. It's going to be the coldest temperatures Texas has seen in like 100 years. Snow's going to be on the ground longer than it's been anywhere in 40 years. Yeah, that's what I got for you. Isn't that wonderful? And... and and for some of us, it was inconvenient, but other folks, it was deadly serious. I mean, it seems like it's just been one thing after another through all of this year. One of the saints of this church in the midst of this time of pandemic, she buried her husband and then she buried her son and recently was injured and is back in the hospital. And I find myself praying, going, you know, God, really, this is just too much. This is too much. But that's what it's been like through this year. And, and we can choose to do one of two things. We can either choose to decide that uh, we're going to kind of get stuck in that nostalgic kind of mindset. Oh, if we could just go back to the way it used to be. Or, or, or we, you know, we can start trying to figure out who we need to blame for all of this. Or we can lament with God. God, this is, this is too much. This is too hard. And allow God to come into that midst of that and strengthen us. I mean, our brother James writes these words. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I want to be really clear. He says pure joy, not pure happiness. He's not saying be happy about this. But, but joy, this deeper kind of sense of being in the presence of God. Because perseverance molds us and strengthens us and shapes us. Um, 
I am going to tell you that, you know, you probably should not pray for patience or perseverance because you won't like the lessons that are involved in that. But, but when we lift these things up to God, when we bring them to God and, and invite God into that with us, God hears and God answers. Maybe everything doesn't become hunky-dory overnight, but God strengthens us and lifts us up. I mean, as we move through this, I mean, we, there's things that we have, in the middle of dealing with this, we, we've learned. I mean, we've become really good at Zoom meetings. We know how to do Zoom meetings much better than we used to, and, and we've become much better at the live stream thing. And, and the interesting thing with the live stream is we have people who get to worship with us now that could not worship before, either because they're in a place where they're, they're, they're physically uh, limited and not able to be here uh, for health reasons or because they're scattered around the world and around the country. Our life recovery group now that meets uh, roughly half of that group is from out of our area. And they join with us. So, so, you know, even though it's been a difficulty, it's also enabled more people to be connected with us and, and to be involved with us than before. I was talking with uh, one of the women in the congregation who was saying that this last, time, this last year, with the, the fact that so many things have kind of gone offline, I mean, they've had more time in their schedule to be with each other as family. And, and their family's begun to have a time where they pray with each other which is something they never could find time to do before. I mean, there, there have been things we've learned in the midst of this that have been valuable, even as it's been difficult. But the most important thing we've learned with it is how much we treasure being together with one another. Isn't it, isn't it great to see people and to be with people again Amen. and to be in people's presence? God has reminded us of the value of that fellowship. I mean, when we lament with God, when we lift our complaints up to God and invite God into them, God hears our cry. God hears our cry. God knows what we are going through. And God comes and joins with us in that time and pours out strength and sustaining on us that lifts us up and strengthens us, that, that indeed works in us to build up that perseverance that makes us mature and complete. And our faith becomes stronger even as God strengthens us. So as we, we begin this series, I'm just going to invite you to, to bring all of your, all those things in your life that have been so hard through the past year and don't, don't try to go back and don't try to blame, but simply lift those up in the presence of God and cry out. Lament with God. And know that God hears and God answers. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you that even in the midst of this wilderness that we have been walking through, that you have been with us. That as difficult as it has been at times, we have found your strength there when we have needed it. That you have not abandoned us or forgotten us. But instead you walk closely beside us. And there's even times in the midst of this where, where we can see that you are working to strengthen us. To redeem difficult times and bring something good out of them. So Father give us confidence and trust in your goodness and your mercy. That we might bring our laments to you that we might lift our voices up to you and invite you into the midst of our difficulty to strengthen us, 
to strengthen our faith and to begin to shape us into the people you would have us be. We ask you to hear us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.